So Matthew 26, 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priest and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, this man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Good morning. My name is Gabe Coyle, and it is a joy to be here together today um, celebrating what God is doing in and through this church community uh, today. Yeah, as we've already said, is the first Sunday where we're going to three services. So for me, it's kind of as usual right now. This is still second service, so I'm still ready to go. I don't know what next service is going to feel like. I'm excited about it. But listen, I can't imagine any other place I'd rather be right now than right here with all of you. It is just an absolute joy. And, you know, at these moments in life where, where things change, you often look back, right, where things began. And I was thinking back to those early days as of being a campus pastor, really those first six months, and I made a ton of huge, terrible, awful mistakes um, time and again, and people still chose to come. It was great. Um, but one of those big, huge, awful mistakes um, was in that first six months, I probably took off only a few days in those first six months. What do you call someone who always works, like goes to bed thinking about work, wakes up thinking about work, feels like if they stop working, the world's going to come crashing down? You may call them a narcissist. You'd probably be right. But you'd also call them a workaholic. And as much as I hate to admit it, Living my life like that, it was wreaking havoc on Allie's and my relationship. It was stealing my joy. It was decreasing my capacity for empathy. I felt more robotic than human. And I was headed down a trajectory of burnout. And it's not like people weren't telling me to stop. I had good friends, I had colleagues here at Christ Community who were like, Gabe, look, look. You got to slow down. You got to learn to rest or you're never going to make it. And I arrogantly was like, no, 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 telling them and myself, I'm different, right? That's what we always tell ourselves. I'm different. I love what I do. I can make it. It's going to be fine. But it wasn't fine. <laughs> and there's a word for that that characterizes that state of mind, that, that perspective on life. It's called denial, Denial. In the words of Mark Twain, denial ain't just a river in Egypt, right? Denial. Denial. You see this in everybody who says they love kale. Denial. <laughs> denial. It's, it's being five foot tall and saying, I've got a future in the NBA. Denial. <laughs> Many of us don't want to admit, but even last night, 
the fact that KU lost to Oregon. Tonight. Oh. We'll talk later, Charlie. <clears throat> and listen, you know, look, look, not all denial's bad, okay? When, you, when you're running, and some of you in here have done this, if you're running a marathon, you basically have to live in denial for 26 or so miles, right? Because when you get to mile 20, you have to tell your brain, no, no. <laughs> yeah, every nerve ending in my body is saying, I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die. <laughs> denial. But seriously, denial... Living in denial, allowing denial to actually define who you are as a person and define your life, it will destroy you. And we know this when we look at the extreme cases in life, don't we? When we think of the parents who are living in denial about their child's drug addiction or, or that son who's living in denial about his own addiction or living in denial about abuse, whether it be in, in a marriage or in a work environment, in those situations... The danger and destructive nature of denial are easily seen. But I think the more I've wrestled with this topic of denial, I've come to realize that, that denial isn't just dangerous in the extreme cases. Instead, denial, it destroys in every case. And every one of us is in danger here. Now, what's the danger of denial? The danger of denial is not that somehow you're standing there ignorantly, chasing after the truth, just hoping that someone would tell you what's really going on. No, 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 no. That's not the danger of denial. The danger of denial is that the truth is standing right in front of you. You have all the facts, you have all the evidence, and you willfully close your eyes. That's what it means to live in denial. And, and running from the truth like that in any avenue of your life whatsoever will never give you what your heart longs for, what you ache for, what you hope for. And so this morning, the question that we're going to wrestle through together is how do we keep, how do we keep denial from creeping into our lives? Or maybe better yet, if we're honest, how do we stop living in denial? Because if we're honest, there's, there's always something in our lives, a truth, this little pesky truth that's a bit annoying that you just don't want to deal with. And there's always one area in our lives. How, how do we stop living in denial? How can you look at truth, bear in the face, and embrace it instead of run from it? And that's a hard question to answer, but we're going to find a brilliant answer from Jesus here. If you'll look with me now at Matthew chapter 26. If you haven't already, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, beginning here in verse 57. If you are using one of our community Bibles, it's found on page number 833. So let me um, set the scene here for you. Jesus has been abandoned by everyone close to him. And he's brought to this, court, this, this courtroom before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he's standing alone. And listen, this ain't no Judge Judy, okay? This is a space where truth saw the door a long time ago. They're seeking false accusations. They're chasing down questions that have no merit. The goal of this court case is merely to condemn Jesus at all costs. And after each question, after each accusation, Jesus just stands there silently until Caiaphas, the high priest, is fed up. And he makes a demand upon all demands, calling upon the name of God. Here in verse 63, he says, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, 
the Son of God. This is the question everybody's been raising. And Caiaphas finally brings it to a head that it's one moment. And before we look at Jesus' answer in verse 64, jump with me to verse 65. What we see in verse 65 is that Caiaphas is so offended by Jesus' answer that he rends his clothes, his high priestly robes in half. And it leads to this accusation that Jesus has committed blasphemy, which is a capital offense. And they condemn Jesus to death and then suddenly all hell breaks loose. They begin to beat Jesus mercilessly spitting in his face, mocking him after each blow, asking, who was it that hit you this time, Jesus? And while all this violence of like a back alley fight, not a courtroom, but a back alley fight is going on, suddenly the rest of the crowd notices that Peter is there. Peter, who said he would never abandon Jesus. Peter, who actually didn't at first abandon Jesus, but was there when Jesus was about to get arrested and he pulls a sword and he cuts off the ear of this other guy who's about to arrest Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, 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 put the swords away. But then he abandons Jesus like all the rest and follows from afar and is looking and peering in to all this commotion. And somebody says, hey, you look familiar. You look like you're with this Jesus guy. You're with him, right? And Peter's like, hey, <laughs> I just got one of those faces, you know, uh, that's, it's not me. It's not me, right? Well, no, no, look, your, your accent gives you away. There's not a whole lot of people from Galilee. When you talk about you all, you say y'all. It's clear you're with Jesus. He's like, no, 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 that's not me. And then it happens a third time. And as soon as Peter denies Jesus a third time, right, the rooster crows just like Jesus said it would. And Peter is broken over the fact that not even he, was outside the realm of living in denial of Jesus. And the text says he wept bitterly over that moment. Now, I know if you've been in church for any length of time, if you've been to an Easter service, you've heard about Peter's denial. Maybe that one's the, little more, the one that's a little more familiar. But what fascinated me most is I looked at these two stories of Caiaphas and Peter is just how similar these two guys are in this one moment. How they're both living in denial. And the key to seeing this, the linchpin that brings these two stories together to understand the denial of these two guys, Caiaphas and Peter, is looking at Jesus' answer to Caiaphas' demand. And so let's look again here at the response in verse 64 to Caiaphas' demand in verse 63. I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says to them, you have said so. What's so interesting to me is Jesus knows he's going to the cross and he doesn't come out with this like bold, yes, I'm him. Like, but instead it's this weird, you have said so. And this is a really strange response. It's an indirect kind of yes. Interestingly enough, if you go back to chapter 26, verse 25, it's the same answer he gives to Judas. When Judas had already set in motion the plans to betray Jesus, and Jesus says, one of you are going to betray me, Judas already knows it's going to be him, and he says, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus, Jesus is like, you have said so, Judas. If you go to chapter 27, verse 11, it's the same answer he gives to Pilate. Pilate, his wife had told him, hey, I'm having all these strange dreams about Jesus. Don't, don't mess with this guy. There's something about him. And so when Pilate comes to Jesus and he says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says what? You 
have said so. He doesn't answer everybody this way, but towards the end of his life, people who know the truth deep down in their heart, he, he draws out the truth in their heart of the questioner. And he anchors it back in saying, don't, don't try to play games with me. You have said so. In other words, you know deep down in your heart it's true. Don't deny it. And Caiaphas here, he's living in denial. He's not after the truth. We've already seen that. He's seeking false testimony against Jesus. He's not seeking the truth about Jesus at this point because he knows the truth about Jesus deep down in his heart and he wants to condemn him. He wants to get rid of Jesus. Why? Why would anyone do this? For the same reason you and I always deny the truth when it's standing right in front of us. Because they're afraid. They're afraid of losing their power they're afraid of losing their comfort, their safety, their security. And when we come to our passage, we often think of Peter's denial. This is the one that makes it into children's storybooks. This is the one that's often preached about. But Caiaphas is just hanging out in the shadows. But Jesus here highlights Caiaphas's denial first. You have said so. You know this deep down in your heart. Don't deny it. And for everyone who's lived in denial, you know there's this wake-up call kind of moment, right? This moment where whether you like it or not, you're forced to face the facts. It could be a car accident. It could be an adrenaline crash. It could be bankruptcy. It could be a relationship that you cherished coming to an end. But in all of these, Jesus says here in verse 64, he wants to make one thing clear. You can't live in denial forever. One day the truth is going to catch up with you. And look at how Jesus details this out here in verse 64. He says, you have said so, but I tell you from now on. In other words, everything's about to change, Caiaphas. Everything's about to change. You can deny it as much as you want. You can go blue to your face. You, you can go to your blue in the face, but you can't deny this forever. There's a day coming when all of this is going to change and the truth is going to be square in your face. And here's what he says. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man. And he highlights three truths about himself, about who Jesus is and the way that God is working in the world through Christ and through the redemption that comes in Christ. And he says this, first, you'll see the Son of Man seated. You see, right then, Caiaphas is sitting down with the whole council and Jesus stands on trial. They think they're in control but Jesus is saying there's a day coming where he will sit as the judge and they will stand on trial. They will not be able to live in denial forever. Second, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power. You see, right then Caiaphas and the whole council, they're sitting there and they pronounce that Jesus is being blasphemous and dishonoring God's name. And Jesus says, wait a second. There's a day coming where I will show you, I will sit in the highest seat of honor next to God the Father. You think you're in control, you think you can live in denial, but you will not be able to live in denial forever. And then the third, you'll see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds in heaven. You see, Caiaphas and the council, they think they can just kill Jesus and get rid of him. They can kill him and stop his movement and its tracks. They think they're still in control. And they will kill Jesus. But three days later, he will rise. And then 40 days later, he will ascend into heaven. 
And he has promised to come again in the clouds and he will gather up his own. And no longer will he be seen as a scorn on this planet, but be seen with all of the honor and authority and power that is rightfully his and his alone. And he will invite his people to share in that honor. One day, Jesus will expose whatever truth we want to deny. There's a day coming. You can't live in denial forever. What we think we can control, what we think we can just close our eyes to and it'll go away, what we know deep down to be true, you can't live in denial forever. And no matter whether you're Peter and you deny Jesus before others or you're like Caiaphas and you're denying Jesus down in the depths of your heart, you can't live in denial forever because Jesus will expose whatever truth, whatever truth we want to deny. And I started thinking about this because this isn't a temptation, like this living in denial isn't just a temptation for people who don't know Jesus. This is a big temptation for people who said they've been following Jesus for years, maybe decades. And I started thinking, why is this such a temptation for us? Why do we live in denial at all? I mean, why go through all this work? Because living in denial is a lot of work. It's oftentimes a lot more work than just facing the truth. So why do we do this? Here's why. If, if, if like Peter, for a period of your life you're living in denial, or if like Caiaphas you've been living your whole life in denial, denial at its heart is driven by fear. By fear. Whether it's this active facade that you put before others or this passive affront down in the recesses of your heart like Caiaphas, denial, it's always driven by fear. If you look at Caiaphas' story throughout the New Testament, he's absolutely terrified of who Jesus might actually be. Because if Jesus really is the Son of God, the promised Christ, that means all of his authority, everything he's been working for his whole life, all of his reputation being seen as the high priest is at risk. And he actually now must bow his head to someone other. He's terrified that, that Jesus might actually bring the wrath of Rome on Jerusalem and obliterate everything that he thought was core to his identity. He's terrified. You look at Peter. It's clear when he denies Jesus before others that he's afraid at the very least of losing his reputation, possibly getting beaten, and maybe even at the worst losing his life. He's afraid. So why live in denial at all? Here's why. We deny the truth in front of us for fear of what the truth means for us. We deny the truth in front of us for fear of what the truth means for us and what it might cost us and what it demands of us and what it might change in us. Because it's a lot easier in many respects to just deny it and ignore it and move on and close our eyes instead of facing the painful realities at times that the truth surfaces. And as alluring as that may be, denial, we must remember, destroys in every case. And we're all in danger here. And you can't live in denial forever because there is a day coming where Jesus will expose whatever truth we try to deny. So if that is true, let's look at and think through some practical ways that we can keep from living in denial. How can we stare truth in the face and embrace it no matter what it is, no matter what it challenges in who we are, instead of running from it? And here's the first thing. Since fear is at the core of every period of living in denial, we first have to commit or come to terms with our fears. Come to terms 
with our fears. For me, I, I was living in denial of God's word and how it calls us to these healthy rhythms of rest. And the fear motivating all of that was this fear of failure. You know, I could work long hours. I could go through extreme pain just as long as people didn't see me as a failure. Because if everything stopped, if I took a day to breathe, if I took a break and it all came crumbling down, then I would come crumbling down with it. And if the fear of failure is what motivates your life or any other misplaced fear, it will destroy and suffocate your soul. So you got to be honest with yourself about what those fears are. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, it can be terrifying, absolutely terrifying to surrender your life to Jesus. Because the, what that truth means for you is that you give up your self-determination. You no longer are your master. But no matter what it is in your life, Jesus has the final say. He is our Savior, but He's also our Lord, always guiding us into flourishing. And whenever that truth comes, it can be daunting. It can be terrifying. And listen, if you're not a Christian, don't think that you're coming and asking these questions purely objectively. Be aware of how those fears of genuinely surrendering everything to Jesus and how much you want to keep or you're afraid of losing that one thing is informing whether or not you'll finally embrace Jesus. Be aware of that. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, one of the most common things we say is that we're supposed to surrender everything to Jesus. And that sounds really good and maybe it's true most of the time, but when we say surrender everything, we often don't mean that one thing. <laughs> Oh yeah, I surrender everything, Jesus, but this right here, you know, like this one, I gave you everything else, right? But not this thing. And it's usually that one worry, whether it be about your financial security. Jesus calls me to live generously. Yeah, but I've got it, I've got it. Maybe it's your sexuality, whatever it might be. Maybe it's this anxiety that continues to riddle and instead of casting all your cares upon him, like he calls us to. And that can be a really terrifying place to be because you really have to trust that Jesus will work it out. And if it's a fear, like for me, a failure, sometimes we just don't trust Jesus enough to carry that. I've got to be the one to keep my own success going. And so I want you to think about this this next week. This is the hard heart work. I want you to write down what is this fear that's constantly under the surface? Where do you have these reoccurring nightmares? What are you afraid of losing most? What are you most afraid to hand over to Jesus? Because listen, if you can answer that question honestly, you will find the secret, the area where you're most tempted to live in denial. And denial destroys in every case, not just in the extreme cases. So come to terms with your fears. But listen, you can't stop there <laughs> because fears are very terrifying. Um, if you just stop with fears, it's going to be paralyzing. The reality is you, you have to go from step one to now step two. And here's step two. You have to embrace the one who's truer than your fears. Why is, why is the one truer than your fears? The reality is our fears lie to us, don't they? Our fears will tell us that our family and our friends will abandon us if we fail. When they're more committed to us than we realize. That they'll go to the utmost for us. Fear will tell you to run when you actually should stay. Fear will tell you to fight 
when you need to just be quiet and you need to listen. And fear, it lies to us. It's, it's kind of like, and we, you know, Ali and I, we have a daughter, Ava, and she's about three years old. And so this is, in one sense, an illustration, but also true to life. You know, it's kind of like a little girl who's sitting in her bed. And it's, you know, she's going to bed and it's dark outside and then suddenly she hears on her window. And we all remember those moments as a kid. Your imagination just goes wild. Is there some kind of strange boogeyman out there ready to snatch me up? You know, what's, what's going on outside my window? And it's terrifying and it's paralyzing. And what happens? The little girl cries out, Mom! <laughs> And mom comes up, and it's holding firmly, embracing mom's arm, knowing that mom is truer than whatever's over there. I know mom. I know mom is strong, and she's truer than whatever my fears are. And so holding on and embracing mom's arm, we can go to the window. And although it's still dark, and although it's still really scary, you come to find out that it's the wind blowing a branch tapping the window. And it unmasks the atrocity of those fears. It's still scary, but holding on to one who's truer than your fears, you're able to actually face your fears. And it's true for us as followers of Jesus. We have Jesus, the Son of God, very God of very God, the Christ. And he's come for us. And he's longing to invite us in. Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All of you who are weary, and he died and he rose again and he's promised to come again for each and every one of us and to make every wrong right. Even the most deeply heartbreaking realities will feel like nothing more like a, than a nightmare in our past when Christ returns and his justice and his goodness and his love. And we can know that Jesus is truer than any one of our fears because he is unmasked and he has dethroned one of the greatest fears you and I know, and that's the fear of death. There is no greater fear than the fear of death. This is why the resurrection is absolutely central to the Christian faith. Because if Jesus has defeated death, then no matter whatever fear is lying underneath our hearts, no matter what fear is actually engaging the media or the world around us, we can know that Jesus is truer and stronger and can unmask and conquer whatever fear that surrounds us or seeks to rear its ugly head within us. If we embrace him, if we find our security in him, if we hope in him, if we rest in him, then, then you don't have to live in denial one more day. And when you come to terms with your fears and you actually embrace the one who's truer than your fears, then you have the opportunity and the joy to take step three, and that is to believe that God's truth is better today than denial any day. That as those periods, those fears rear their ugly heads every day, you can say, no, no, I believe God's truth is better today than denial any day. And you can come to terms with your fears because you know denial will always destroy that it'll destroy the people around you, like Caiaphas's denial brought upon the abuse and death of Jesus, like Peter's denial actually destroyed him with his guilt and his shame. In that moment, he wept bitterly. Denial will never give you what you ache for, what you long for. Only the truth can do that when you embrace one who is truer than your fears. And can you imagine 
Listen, I, I know it's not easy to embrace or to come to terms with our fears, but it's way easier than living in denial of our fears. I know it doesn't come without pain, and I know it's not easy. It's easy in one sense, but it's really difficult in another sense to surrender everything to Jesus. But it's still easier than trying to live life denying Jesus. And can you imagine if we were the kind of people who had the courage to come to terms with our fears? If we were a church who chose deliberately to embrace the one who's truer than our fears, that every day, both individually and as a community, we actually believed, we actually lived in light of this belief. It actually had our functional trust in the way we get, you know, we, we led our lives. That, that God's truth is better today than denial any day. What would that look like? Well, it would look like Gary Williams. I still remember when Gary first came to Christ's community. When he came, he was skeptical of the church. And when he came, he came for a while and he finally jumped into Razor's leadership pathway and we were talking about the church and I'll never forget what Gary said in that moment. He said, listen, I used to think that I could just get to know God on my own by taking some long walk in the woods, getting down on my knees and praying to him. But the reality is, is that I never took long walks in the woods I never got down on my knees, and I rarely, if ever, prayed. And Gary, he admits that he was living in denial. He didn't want, he didn't want to let people get in and, and really know who he was. He was afraid. And in that process, he was keeping Jesus at bay as well. But now over time, in embracing Jesus and his truth as being truer than his fears... Gary's become a pillar in this community. If you know Gary, he comes in the first service. He, he's the one who buys all of our coffee beans. He's the one who starts all the coffee off for first service. He's the guy who comes in early. And if you've ever met Gary, you know he's one of the first guys who will give you a big bear hug. He'll listen and share what's going on in his life. Listen to what's going on in your life. He's one of the first guys to offer a helping hand. He's one of the first to tell you how much he loves Jesus and his church. And he doesn't just attend here. You know where he is right now. After coming to first service, he's at our sister church, CFBC, because he's passionate now about community so much that he wants to see racial reconciliation in a divided city. And he's doing whatever he can to now let people in and allow the community to flourish. And that's what God in Christ is doing in Gary. He can take Someone who is living in denial, who is afraid of community, and he makes him a dynamic catalyst for community in our city. What does it look like for you? It looks like Steve Lewis. I remember the first time he came to Christ's community. He'd had this wake-up call moment a few weeks before he attended, and, and he, he, was, he was an alcoholic. And he got into a minor accident, which led to both his arrest and a DUI. And minor or not, he knew he couldn't live in denial any longer. And so he went to two places, AA and Christ Community. And when he went to AA, it said, you can't do this on your own, dude. You've got to have some sort of higher power. And he came to Christ Community and he found out about Jesus and he surrendered his life and embraced Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. And he was freed from the chains of legalism and regret and found forgiveness in the sufficient death of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And he was baptized and he became a member of this church. And those of you who know Steve, you've seen him grow and he loves people so well. He's also one of those guys who's the first one to offer a helping hand or to give you a ride if you need a ride somewhere. He's one of those guys who tells you about his love for Jesus and the church. And that's what it looks like when God and Christ was working. And Steve, someone who was afraid to face his problems, now becomes a catalyst to help other people face their problems. That's what Jesus does when he comes into our story. That can be your story. That can be our story. And that's what Jesus does. He takes our greatest fears, and they become the place where God does his greatest work for his greatest glory. Time and again, and I don't know where you are this morning. I, I don't know how alluring living in denial is for you because of what that truth might mean for you and what it challenges you and what it calls you to. But I want you to know you can't live in denial one more day. It'll destroy you and it'll destroy the people around you. And praise God, because of Jesus, you don't have to live in denial one more day. You see, Jesus came for people like you and me. He came for people who live in denial and he's offering us the truth and he's saying, listen, wake up. I don't want you to destroy yourself and to destroy the people around you. I love you so much that I died for your denial that you might be able to embrace the truth. And what I come to offer is life and life everlasting. That's what he's come for. And he wants it for you. He doesn't want you to destroy yourself living in denial. He wants you to wake up to the truth. And the way life was meant to be lived, the way he designed it to be. And all you have to do is reach out and embrace the one who is truer than your fears. And learn and enjoy and delight in the belief that God's truth is better today than denial any day. Don't let denial destroy you. Instead, it's time to open your eyes to see who Jesus really is. And let him open your eyes to the way the world really is. And embracing his arm, now having the courage to walk in the real world. He's here for you. It's time to wake up. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. I know I am tempted in so many ways to take the path of denial to see the truth and just to close my eyes to it. But thank you for the gospel that you died for me while I was yet a denier, while I yet lived in denial. And you've given me new life. I pray that by the power of your spirit, you would convict us of sin, areas that are destroying us inside and areas that are becoming wedges in community rather than catalysts for community. I pray, Lord, you'd give us ears to hear and eyes to see that you would do your magnificent work in glorifying Jesus. That we would have the courage by the power of the Spirit to embrace Jesus as truer than our fears and that it would really transform our lives to be lives of courage. God, help us. Send your helpers to us and may we have the humility and strength to receive the help they offer. We love you in Jesus' name.